What's up and welcome to episode number 15 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for September 28th, 2016. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine. Uh, just started uh, the hopefully the last class, math class I'm going to need to take before I get my transfer degree. And um, yeah, just getting ready. Just uh, a lot of review of st- concepts and stuff I already really already learned before so hopefully that'll make it so i do better on this first test which is coming up on thursday yay Yay. everybody wish mike luck which by the time you hear this he'll probably have already taken the test but that's besides the point (laughs) we are going to be rolling out a patreon here soon um we're going to be on a different recording well not different recording schedule but different recording release date um you can whenever the patrons finished i'm going to put it up on the facebook so you can like go check it out there's going to be various perks there's going to be q and a's um it, there's going to well people who um become a patreon whoever you can have access to the podcast a day early cuz i'm going to start releasing this on friday instead of on late wednesday early thursday um and there will also be an extra segment that you will get um as well which i guess we'll do it weekly or something um i don't know but yeah, there'll be a lot of like little perks in there, um, and various levels and tiers and whatnot. So we're hoping to get that out. And if people really like this show, you know, they can support- yeah, you can become a patron, support us. Uh, if you uh, support a certain level, we don't have everything all uh, figured out just yet. Uh, we'll have it all figured out when the Patreon is up. We definitely appreciate your support. I know I, I would. Mike <laughs> needs a new microphone too. <laughs> he needs a better. If you want to hear Mike as clearly as you hear me. Uh, you can you can make that happen through the Patreon. Exactly. Um, and Mike, Mike, it would just be so happy about that. I'm sure. I would, because and, and it would also improve the quality of the show. So it's not just something that's oh, just for greedy old me. It would actually make the show better. Yeah, more li- more listenable. Not that it's not listenable now, but you know, <laughs> Mike won't sound like he's on a telephone. He'll sound like he, maybe uh, he's in the same room with me. Maybe. Exactly. All right, so uh, this particular week we got, you know, our regular three segments. We're going to dive into this first one here, which has become one of my more favorite categories on Unsolved Mysteries that I had kind of forgotten about because the Ultimate Collection did not have a section on this, but this is a fraud segment. I love the fraud segments. I don't know why I'm becoming such a fan. I've always liked the fraud segments, uh, even when 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 the show was still on on Lifetime, you know, on reruns. I always enjoyed watching the fraud segments. Just so. the various what clever ways people take advantage. And I guess I like it because no one actually gets hurt physically, like no one dies. Even though it's tragic that they like lose money and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of a kind of a levity or brevity or levity or whatever from like yeah. the murders, you know. And some of them are just really just out there. Yeah, they're bizarre. They're bizarre or they're just, or they are kind of funny, you know, like that little old lady who like scammed everybody. Yeah. She seemed like just the nicest thing wouldn't nope. harm, harm a fly the uh, fruitcake lady or whatever <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so this guy that we're talking about is a guy named gary magno uh sounds like a superhero um or porn star but take take your pick um like a porn star. 
All right, so the segment starts off with Robert Stack talking about, over the last decade, the proliferation of alternative medicines has led to fraudulent practices, and uh, these are techniques that are meant to steal, not to heal. Very nice uh, wordplay there. Uh, one such fraud originated in the Philippines. It's called psychic surgery. Through the power of faith, these people can reach into a patient's body and remove tumors and other harmful materials. And they claim this procedure is painless and leaves no scars. One of the biggest pr practitioners of this scam is Gary Magno. Magno travels through the country performing his so-called surgery on thousands of patients. In March of 1986, Magno was in Arizona and a Phoenix resident became aware of Magno when his mother started going to him. And this guy's name was Randy Jones. So Randy decided that he would go to Magno himself because he was obviously skeptical. Um, and then they interview Randy and Randy saying, you know, this was handled as a cl clandestine operation. Only certain people knew where Magno was. You really had to know someone to know someone to get in here. I mean, this Which is that's already fishy. Right? You're right. I mean, that's, you're, that's already very suspicious. And what I liked about this particular segment, not only just the whole sort of curiosity itself of psychic surgery, but it, it had a certain uh, believability to it because of the fact that I think most of the people who were in the reenactment were the actual people who were being interviewed. So you actually had Randy Jones in the reenactment. Which is always nice. And it seemed like you also had, I, I don't know for sure if this is a case, but I think it was a lot of the police officers that were involved as well with the, you know, clan, uh, the later clandestine, you know, sort of sting operation, I think were the actual officers. So there was a certain, yeah, it was a certain believability that was uh, added to this segment that was, was nice. It's nice to see that, you know, when it actually is the actual person in the reenactment, not right. an act. So before um, this operation that you were talking about with the police, um, Jones wanted to go see for himself about what this was all about. So he went in to this kind of house, uh, just a typical looking house, and they had like a lady right at the front of the house with a desk, and he had to sign two forms. Now, one was a release form, and one was an application to the Holy Spirit of God Church. They don't really go on about what that one was about. But the release form released Magno of all liability, and it was also swearing uh, under the threat of perjury that the signatory was not a police officer. Now, if that's not a fucking red flag, I don't know what is. <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> so, that, according to Randy Jones, the house was full of people. It was like a big gathering. They were all waiting their turn, but it seemed like some kind of more of like a party-like atmosphere, not like a very clinical-type waiting room situation. And uh, after some time, his name was called. He was asked to go to the back bedroom and strip down to his underwear and, and don a bathrobe. Uh, and then would, you would be called in pairs into another room, and uh, you were asked to drop your robe. Uh, each, you were each put on a separate table. The floor was covered with plastic sheeting. There were two portable massage tables covered in plastic sheeting. And there's two stainless steel bowls covered in plastic sheeting. Each person was asked to hold a religious object, and for Randy's case, uh, it was a cross or a crucifix. Um, then Magno comes in. He says, you know, Magno said very little, and if he did say anything, it was only to the assistants. 
Um, he according quote by Randy, he said, Magno came up to me and he pressed on my leg and appeared to remove tissue or what appeared to be tissue. He would take this tissue in his hands and throw it in a second bowl, which was empty. And this all took seconds to remove the tissue. Uh, during the operation, Randy became convinced that the procedure was a fraud. It was clear he was not doing anything surgical. He was doing, you know, what he was doing was for his own financial gain. And during the the uh, segment, they show this guy, um, you know, and, and these reenactments are based off of kind of like factual, like how it happens. Exactly. So, so it's kind of it's kind of like this sleight of hand thing. So he's got his left hand kind of like folded up, and then he's got his right hand that uh, uh behind the left hand so you can't see exactly what the right hand's doing and he's kind of just folding his fingers into his hand to where it looks as if he's digging his hand down into you but he's really not doing anything but some really bad sleight of hand um and at the fees he was charging he must have been clearing an exorbitant amount of money thought randy jones um, Randy, Randy wanted to learn more about a procedure that he felt was little more than glorified robbery, so he contacted his friend Jim Lowell, who worked in health and fraud, who had studied psychic surgery for 15 years. Um, now I'm going to play a clip here from the show where uh, this guy, Jim Lowell, actually explains exactly what ended up going down, and uh, then we'll come back in and, you know, comment on it. All right, this was a clip that had to be removed because of the copyright stuff. Sorry about that, guys. But basically, the guy was talking about psychic surgery and how it's basically sleight of hand, and the psychic surgeon will have a bunch of things like cotton balls and sheets and bedding to hide the materials that they're going to quote-unquote pull out of you. Uh, they'll have these little bags uh, that are called loads, if you will, and it's full of... Uh, chicken parts and chicken blood and stuff like that and they'll they'll pocket the load in their hand and they'll fold their hands and just do a bunch of sleight of hand techniques and when they break the bag the blood comes out um, and then they said we're talking about how Magna wasn't even the best at this he was just kind of uh, middle of the road as far as these kind of tricksters go um, so that was basically in essence the whole clip um, now back to your regularly scheduled program all right, so <laughs> the motherfucker's using chicken blood and chicken parts and all that and these little baggies, little condom-like baggies. I know you can't see the video clip, but, I mean, that's what it kind of looks like. And he basically, as he's folding his hands into the... He's breaking the bag open with his hand, and so it appears as, as he's removing shit from people's bodies. Exactly. And he wasn't even, uh, the, he wasn't even the best at it. He was just no. okay, you know, as the guy yeah. said. Like, <laughs> I love that. He's just like... He wasn't even that great. It's very crude. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is a crude thing to do to prey on people like this. You know, I, I got to be honest. You have to. You'd have to be really gullible and really desperate in order to fall for this. And that's usually what happens: is people who are really gullible and and also really really desperate. And in the clip that that when Randy went into the house, um, it, probably not by mistake for the casting of this uh, reenactment, there was a lot of elderly people in there yeah. too. So that's that's probably what that's that's the perfect target for for fraud for people who, who commit fraud is these elderly people. They have all this disposable income, and you know they prey on them because you know hey they're older. They have all these different maladies and. And, you know, they want to believe 
And a lot of them are probably fairly religious, and so Magno will kind of follow under that thing, too, and try to, under the guise that he's also, you know, he's doing a miracle, performing miracles or something like that. You know, that's why he has people carry, you know, religious artifacts or, you know, like a cross or something. Um, But my thing is, like, how can that be effective if you don't believe? (laughs) I mean, for example, what if if Randy Jones wasn't a Christian? Then that would be completely ineffective. Which, which since Randy's, you know, the kind of guy that he is and he's got his wits about him. And I love guys like this Randy Jones guy. I mean, I just love these kind of people. I relate to him. That's totally how I would react to this. Yeah. Just be like, this is bullshit. This is 100% bullshit. And he did realize that. And once he did, he contacted the Phoenix Police Department and they they set up an investigation. Uh, They initiated an undercover investigation into Magno's operation. Uh, Detective Dan Henderson and his partner posed as a husband and wife team. And when he went in there, he asked if his wife could come with him, which his wife was his partner uh, in law enforcement. At first, they were kind of hesitant, but then the wife, a.k.a. his uh, partner became demanding that they let them both in, you know, Oh, I need to be with my husband. He's going through a hard time. Then they finally kind of relented and they said, okay. Um, they determined when the surgery began on Dan, that they would make the arrest. And that's what they did. The segment shows pretty much as soon as they, he started doing his funky little hand tricks on Dan, the wife who's still standing, pulls out a gun and goes, all right, you know, police, you know, stop and all this other kind of stuff. And then, you know, a a bunch of other police bust in and Gary and his wife and a bunch of other people, well, I actually think it was just Gary and his wife, were arrested. No, there was other people. There were other people okay. there. They were also arrested, I believe, people who worked with him. And uh, the way the reenactment shows that, it's just kind of funny, I thought, because like, they break in, and then they're all looking around, like, oh, no. Ah, they're almost looking like a cartoon character or something, you know, uh, <laughs> like Wiley, Wiley E. Coyote or something. Or, you know, it was, I expected them to hold up a sign being like, help uh you know or the running around with the chicken with its head cut off which yeah is, which is uh fitting you know, when, when wiley coyote's on the, the ledge of a, of a mountain and then you know he cuts off uh you know the whole mountain ends up fall i don't know and then he holds up a sign that says bye bye or something like that yeah, yeah. Very cartoony. um so Magno and his wife were arrested, um, uh, his American-born wife, Terry Lynn, and they were charged with conspiracy and fraud. They jumped bail and escaped to the Philippines. Uh, authorities believe that they have since re-entered the country. Now, this is, this is where it gets shitty. This is where it gets tragic to me. Truly tragic. Yeah, really. Even after all this, after Randy Jones's family was presented with all the evidence that was seized after the arrest... Both of his parents, and Randy's telling all this right now in his words, he said, both of my parents were absolutely convinced that Magno could perform miracles and heal people, and they felt that because of my actions, uh, you know, hundreds of people were condemned to death, and that he stabbed them in the back, and that they did not want to talk to him anymore. Now, his mom, uh, his her health continued to deteriorate until she was finally checked into a hospital. They found six more tumors in her, and she eventually t- died. Now, he, Randy was saying from the time of the arrest until the time she died, he didn't get to see his mom again. That that is that's just that's so sad. That is and shitty. He must have had is. a batshit crazy mother. No disrespect, but I mean, how? I want to talk about things that are bullshit. That's totally bullshit. You know that that's that really honestly to and that's just shitty. How uh, super but, fucking stitious do you gotta be 
Yeah. To like, mom, here's the chicken blood. Here's the here's the little baggies of like pre made, you know, blood and tissue that they were supposedly pulling out of you. And nope, don't care. It was real. You stabbed me in the back. Fuck you, son. You condemn me and hundreds of other. It's like, dude, what the fuck? Like some people, they're not. It doesn't necessarily mean they're crazy. It just they just want to believe. They are so adamant about believing in this. That's what. Ha- that's how these televangelists. I, I, you know, it's a, a kind of kind of off topic, but not really. And honestly, I think some of that is actually fraud as well. Oh, a lot of it is. One hundred percent of it is actually. <laughs> you know, they're trying to hold the whole seed faith thing. You know, you give us a certain amount of money, and we'll you know multiply it. And that never that almost never happens. And if it does happen. It's not anything that the televangelists did or the church. It's pure coincidence. Well, that or they showed they showed an expose one time of one of these mega churches, one of these faith healers, where the people who would go in would fill out these little cards of like yeah. what their ailments were, and the uh, faith healer would be wearing like an earpiece, and they'd have someone in another room with all these monitors and shit going through these cards, feeding him information about yeah, yeah about whoever he was healing, and then really at that point it just became a matter of. Um, a placebo effect kind of deal and, and you know at that point it was just you know I believe that prayer works because you're you're tapping into a, an area in your mind that that does allow the body to heal itself the human mind is much more powerful than we have access to and I feel like prayer and all that stuff you're, you're opening up that part in yourself that, that allows it to heal. I, I don't necessarily believe, I, well, I'm just going to say I don't believe that it's a supernatural being that's doing the healing. That's my personal opinion. Uh, some people may differ. That's fine. No disrespect yeah, to your beliefs exactly. or whatever. But I, I, I'd probably be, I, I believe, a similar thing. If there are these sort of miracles that do happen, <clears throat> it's more likely the, the brain, the, the human brain, is, they found a way to tap into something in a way, you know, the, to trick trick their brain into believing that you know these things are actually happening like like a placebo effect um and yeah there was actually it's a comedy you know with chevy chase it's called fletch lives and that one has a moment has a fun hilarious scene where they expose this this televangelist guy who's like doing faith healing and they do the whole thing where you have the computer room with all the different people with ailments and Chevy Chase is here, like all acting, you know, like he's got this, you know, serious <laughs> problem. And it, it's great. It's really, it's really. Dude, Chevy funny. Chase used to be the shit back in the eighties. I don't know what happened to that guy. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like the nineties it happened, and then yeah, I've... time was not kind to that motherfucker <laughs> either, man. Beats me. But uh, with Gary Magno, they uh, he he and his wife they uh, were arrested in the Philippines of July of nineteen ninety one. But, however, due to an extradition problem, Gary Magno could not be arrested. Do we not have an extradition treaty with the Philippines? Maybe not. Apparently not, according to the information off the Unsolved Mysteries wiki. Um, another thing with the, that ties into the televangelist thing is, like, you know, people believing, you know, this mass healing sort of stuff. You know, if you just somebody just puts their ha- hand on your head and goes... You know, cancer be gone. Oh, and just smacks you out. You know, you know, lays you out on the ground as if you've been, you know, late. You know, not really late, but you know. Oh yeah, hell yeah, Mike. Yeah. Slain in the spirit. I love how they call it that. Slain in the spirit or something. 
It's like a Slayer, uh, Slayer album. <laughs> Rain and blood. Uh, but anyway, the whole thing with the Magnos, the psychic surgery thing, I mean, it, it, it in itself is just so absurd. It's like, you would know if you had some kind of tumor or something in your leg. I mean, you would have known that already. I mean... And if you if you already know you're a fully healthy person like Randy Jones was, he goes in and he's pulling the stuff out of him right off the bat. You'd be like, ah, no, I, come on. And then even if there he was pulling stuff out of you, wouldn't that hurt? And wouldn't, wouldn't it's the pa- it's the magical mystical powers, dude. If if you're if you're expecting these people to start using logic now when with oh isn't it gonna hurt? Then you've lost the point of these people who are going to see this guy. These people do not exercise logic. They're, the whole thing is built on this mysticism and magic and all this other kind of stuff. Which look, really? I want I want magic to exist as much as the next guy, but you know there's something called rea- a reality check that you have yeah. to. I would love to be able to cast a free spell online and get a bunch of money, but that's. That's just that's not gonna happen. Although there are free spells you can cast online to to give you you know more money and monetary gain, but yeah. Typically, typically you have to provide content for those spells to work effectively. I found content that a lot of people want to see and are willing to pay for. uh, Give me your information and give me your your uh, money. You know, it didn't work. Well, give me more money to increase the spells effectiveness. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> which there are more cases of that on, on unsolved mysteries and we'll probably cover them eventually exactly but yeah the psychic surgery thing is a very fascinating form of fraud because it's the whole sort of thing where it's uh it's it's essentially it's a magic trick they're these psychic surgeons are performing magic tricks on susceptible individuals who just want to believe with all of their heart that this is their their fix for their condition and usually these people are poor as well that's another important thing is usually they don't have enough money to be able to afford to go to the hospital and do this other sort of stuff or they don't trust the hospital for some reason and that happens too there are people who've died because they just put their faith in god or in, or in the church in order to heal them or new age medicine like steve jobs steve, uh, exactly. steve jobs wouldn't go and get proper chemotherapy or anything like that he thought he could do a bunch of new agey shit and then he died and and people were saying you know if he had went and gotten proper chemotherapy treatment he might still be alive today but he didn't he might be and especially since he was very well off financially right. he able to get the best uh, medical treatment available which in in america the wealthier you are the more uh your life matters so that as far as the health insurance and the healthcare industry is concerned so yeah that's how it works here welcome to america folks i'm dealing with that <laughs> right now i have to get Fuck in- yeah or more like america <laughs> fuck you <laughs> yeah yeah and we You're just lost rich. all of our patriots no no i'm just i'm just i'm just messing around it's a joke it's a joke yeah folks. We have a fucked up healthcare system, though. All I, right. I, I love the country, this country. Flaws and all. Yeah, warts and all. All right, moving on. Our next case here, Mike picked. This is Chuck Morgan of Morgan and Morgan. No, it's a local joke. There's this really annoying commercial that airs in Jacksonville. Oh, I'm, I'm Charles Morgan of Morgan and Morgan. Is this lawyer in town who keeps trying to get medical marijuana passed? Anyway, we call him the weed lawyer. Uh, <laughs> just reminds me of his stupid commercials. 
I is think that, are you sure that's not an SNL commercial parody? I mean, that's what that sounds like to me. No, no. It's, I, actually, his name's John Morgan. His face looks like a loaf of bread, and he, I have to see his face on all the billboards around town as I drive around. I'm John I, Morgan I, of Morgan and Morgan. Blah, 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 blah. Find our, our, like us on Twitter and Facebook and blah, blah, blah. It sounds like he's got like a pie in his throat, just how he talks. <laughs> So he sounds like Mike Morris. Yes, he, exactly. <laughs> Him and Mike Morris could be really good. They could join. They could make the big stupid face club. I got some. There's a little bit of backlash from me tearing into Mike Morris a little bit. <laughs> week. People didn't like that side of me. I guess. I don't know. I felt like it was too mean. Oh, and I'll try to watch my fucking mouth from now on too, because apparently I swear too much. Um. All right, anyway, this guy, Chuck Morgan. This is actually a really interesting case, and this ties in. There's like a triangle thing here. So there's yeah. Ch the Chuck Morgan case, uh, and then there's the Don Devereaux case. Don Devereaux is an investigative journalist. He was actually interviewed in this particular yeah. segment. And he was he was actually caught up in his own unsolved mystery where there was a mis mis there was a hit out on Don and his neighbor I believe who's also was named Don and drove the same car it w uh, got killed instead of Don Devereaux and then I believe this also uh, Don Devereaux was also involved in I think the Danny Casalero uh, stuff as well so it's kind of this triangle so Chuck Morgan is kind of like the second because we already did Casalero so now Chuck Morgan is kind of a piece of this puzzle but but not so much uh just in the don Devereux connection so uh tucson arizona march 22nd 1977 chuck morgan left as usual to drive two of his four daughters to school now this guy was riding the crest of the real estate boom at that time and he had become the president of his own escrow agency on the outside chuck morgan appeared to be the perfect family man hard-working businessman and a pillar of the community but in 1977, Morgan had become a potential witness in a state land fraud case involving a known organized crime boss. And suddenly, on March 22nd, Morgan disappeared. Three days later, Chuck Morgan returned home at 2 a.m. in the morning, just out of nowhere, after he had been gone for three days. There was a thump against the back door. Chuck kind of bolted in, almost fell to the ground. His wife was the one who let him in. He was missing a shoe. And he was handcuffed with kind of like those white zip ties, those plastic zip yeah. tie things. He was handcuffed with those. Um, he got laid out on the bed by his wife. He clearly was going through some kind of a trauma. He motioned to his throat because uh, he hadn't said a word. And uh, his, his wife asked, like, you know, can, can you write? And he, he motioned yes. So the wife grabbed a pen and tablet. And he wrote, he scribbled down that the back of his throat had been painted with a, a hallucinogenic drug and that the drug could drive him irrevoc irrevocably insane or destroy his central nervous system and kill him. Wow. What, what, no, a, the, yeah, that's what a beginning. The this, this, this hooked me right from the beginning. I, I, this one came out of nowhere. I had not heard of it before. I got the segments for season two. And then, bam, like right off the bat when I first saw this, I was like, wow, like this is this is definitely what I want to talk about. Because first off, that's just terrifying. I mean, the whole thing, I mean, first off, going to disappearing, going missing for three days. I can only imagine what went, what was going on those three days when he was missing. They were probably torturing him. And uh, that's the first time I ever heard of somebody like painting some hallucinogenic drug in the back of your throat or something. Yeah, yeah, that was trippy, man. I mean, no pun intended. And the actor who played uh, Chuck did a great job. Uh, you know, he, the, he definitely looked like he was fucked up. 
And but he didn't uh, overdo it. He did it like the perfect no, amount. He did it perfectly. And then the way his handwriting is all jittery and all nervous and yeah, it's a very effective uh, reenactment. And uh, the wife, she says, I wanted to call a doctor and the police, but he was adamant and that uh, because he said that that would be signing a death warrant for the entire family. And, you know, that's the whole thing that scribbles on it. And it's like, no, you know, you know, family, you know, kill the family, you know. It was crazy. Yeah, he just crudely scribbles that. When she says, I'm going to call police, he scribbles, no, don't do that. Like, no. they will kill us all. They will kill all of us, the whole family. So, I mean, I I, th I, mean, I know I've mentioned before about the whole police thing, like with the Cindy James and the other kind of segments about how the police are the first place I'd go to when, you know, the, you know like when the stalking and all this. But in, in this in this particular instance when clearly this man has suffered severe trauma that was very real incredible and he's saying these people will kill us eh, you know it's kind of one yeah, of those no. things where it's like would i call the cops he was also a potential witness in a state land fraud case involving a known organized crime boss so i mean that's that's typical of the kind of things that crime bosses would do would take the witness scare them you know mess with them, torture them, basically give them, you know, you know, you better not say shit or, you know, you better be watching your P's and Q's. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you won't be able to watch them anymore because you're going to be, you know, sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> so for one week, uh, his wife, Ruth, nursed him back to health using an eyedropper to give him water and Morgan started to allude to a secret identity that she never knew about. He revealed that he was an agent for the federal government, and he alluded that his treasury ID was missing. When his wife pressed for more information, he wouldn't reveal anything else. Chuck Morgan handled escrow accounts for at least one mob family, who probably used him to do accounts for other purchases of gold bullion and platinum, which is a much more convenient way to launder money. Now, this is where they introduced Don Devereaux and they're kind of interviewing him. And Devereaux says, Morgan was probably a straight businessman who got a little too close to the flame. He was around the edges of a few organized crime organizations at the time. He was doing a billion, and that's billion with a B, uh, in dollar, uh, dollars in escrow work in boy, boy, gold bullion and platinum. There was never any gold at that level, at least. The money changed hands through banks, and that's how the monies were legitimized. Um, now, for the late 1980s, early 1990s, I mean, the I mean, billion a billion dollars is a shit ton of money nowadays. But I mean, back then but it was back then, it was even well, more, even more money. And that what's this is such a memorable case to me because it's just one thing after another. It's not only just the whole thing with the hallucinogenic drugs, hallucinogenic drugs in the beginning, but now we go into I was an agent for the government, and they took my treasury ID. And they went, "What?" <laughs> and then he might—he um, might be laundering money. <laughs> and this <laughs> is all like, for real, you know. This isn't—this yeah, this isn't, isn't a hallucination. Hallucination. Good God, hallucination! <laughs> there are some hard words in this segment for baby Josh to pronounce. <laughs> Yeah, this this isn't a movie script. Like I could not script this any better. Seriously. So so also, you know, it kind of taught me something, uh, kind of about the world of 
you know, the of crime, organized crime and all that, you know, if you're going to launder money, uh, gold and platinum are apparently easier ways to do so. And, you know, a billion dollars, that's, that's like a whole just network of people who have their hands in that pot. Because, I mean, it's that's not like he was just doing that for like one person. The, this is a whole underground of secret, you know, Maybe mob mob members and probably people you know corrupt government officials that all have their yeah. hand in this like the octopus right <laughs> so after the kidnapping chuck started um exhibiting a justifiable paranoia in which this is the only one of the only times i've ever heard an unsolved mysteries where robert stack says he started exhibiting a justifiable paranoia yeah i, yeah, I was like huh Interesting choice of words. It's true, though. He started wearing yeah. a bulletproof vest all the time. He started taking his daughters to and from school, and he informed the school nobody, and absolutely nobody was allowed to pick the daughters up except him. Um, Chuck mentioned once that there was money laundering going on in the town, but nothing he himself was involved in. Bullshit. Um, he said the less, the less that his wife, Ruth, and the girls knew, the better off they were. Now, all of these precautions, unfortunately, were of no avail, Though two months after his first disappearance, Chuck Morgan vanished again. Ruth said, "Quote: The last morning that anyone saw him, he went up to his parents' house and was talking to his father and said, if anything happened to him, there was a letter explaining why, how, and who. The letters never surfaced. Again, big surprise. Nine days after Chuck disappeared, Ruth received a bizarre phone call from a woman, and she said, Ruthie, Chuck is all right. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 through 8. Then she hung up. <laughs> it's so creepy. <laughs> what, what do you want me to do with that, man? I mean, exactly. honestly, what do you want me to fucking do with that? You know, could you be any more fucking cryptic? <laughs> Two days after Ruth's cryptic phone message, Chuck's body was discovered, bulletproof vest still intact, with a bullet in the back of his head. The bullet was shot from his own gun, also found was a crudely drawn map with directions to the murder site jotted down in Chuck's handwriting and a pair of sunglasses that, quote, definitely did not belong to him. They made one additional discovery, and this is, I mean, just it gets better and better as far as the, you know, crime uh, fanatics here. Apparently, Chuck Morgan had clipped a $2 bill inside his underwear. Written on the bill were seven Spanish names, all in alphabetical order, from A to G. Above them was a notation... Ecclesiastes 12 and then with the verses 1 through 8 marked by arrows drawn on the bill's serial number so on the serial number of the bill I had an arrow drawn to the 1 and an arrow drawn to the it 8 it just gives me chills because when I remember when I first saw this segment I was like holy shit like I mean they get all ties together yeah on, it, on the back of the bill the, you know anybody people who aren't familiar with a $2 bill on the back of the bill it shows the people who signed the declaration of independence kind of like as they're signing the document on the back of the $2 bill the, the signers of the declaration of independence were all numbered 1 through 7 and a crude map was drawn on the back of this is some Illuminati <laughs> shit right here this is what this is national treasure you know yeah type stuff. but yeah. more nefarious than yeah. Nick, Nick Cage who just I'm um, starting <laughs> to think does not know how to say the word no to a movie role um 
This is some just crazy Illuminati. I mean, this bill is all marked up with Ecclesiastes 12 and then the one through eight on there. It's clipped inside the dude's underwear. He gets a phone call. The wife gets a call from this random girl who's known as Green Eyes, who's talking about he's okay and then drops Green that. Green Eyes sounds like a name for an escort. Well, that's my name because I have green eyes. <laughs> I'm I'm today's green eyes. Um, even the passage itself is kind of is kind of eerie. This is the passage. It reads in part: "Men are afraid of a high place and terrors on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it." Ooh, wow. Good for you for looking that up. I didn't even go and look those verses up. That's that is creepy. <laughs> that would have been even creepier if I said you just it, instead of, you know, this woman, you know, Ruthie. Yeah. Is this? Yes. Chuck is all right. Men are afraid of a high place and terrors <laughs> on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. And I will strike down upon (laughs) thee with great vengeance. (laughs) And you will know my, I am my, whatever. (laughs) Fucking Sam Jackson's line from uh, Pulp Fiction. Um, Yeah, so um, then they have Devereaux again who comes in after that saying that, uh, uh, referring to the crudely drawn map on the back of the $2 bill, he says, these roads do exist. They are in Mexico. It's an area that would be very likely involved in smuggling. Uh, if there were, if he was involved in movements of real gold, they'd be coming through um, this area in that fashion, most likely. So this, the, he was, I guess, trying to kind of break this case open and by leaving these kind of details on the back of this two-dollar bill. Um, but they also believe that there's a companion piece that probably went with this dollar bill, perhaps that note that he was mentioning to yeah, his parents letter, yeah. about the why, where, who, and what dealio, that maybe these two things went together. Maybe the $2 bill was some kind of a legend that decoded the document or something like that. Um, police claimed that, of course, goofy-ass police, claimed that Morgan committed suicide by shooting himself in the back of the head. Uh... Yeah, that's highly unlikely. Obviously, the wife doesn't buy it, nor do I. Why would you shoot yourself in the back of your head? I mean, and he's he's been paranoid enough to be wearing a bulletproof vest. I just... Well, and that's what Don Devereaux says. He says, quote, It's not a usual place to shoot oneself. Never seen a fella take himself out in the desert with a bulletproof vest on and shoot himself in the head. Very nicely hey. put, Don. I agree with you, sir. Uh, some in, some investigators quit the team and they indicated they were in fear of their lives. I mean, this just gets better and better. A few of them left the United States. (laughs) What? (laughs) Holy shit, man. Don't get in bed with the mafia or the government. Or the octopus, apparently. I mean, it's not... This this can't just be like some vatos or something in some little gang somewhere in Arizona. Right. if you're if you're like I gotta flee the country, afraid. If you're you're so afraid for your life that you feel the need to flee the country, you're in some deep shit. Some Breaking Bad shit right here. Some deep fucking shit. That's for sure. 
So, you know, then Don, um, well, two days after Chuck's death, an anonymous woman spoke to Pena County Sheriff's Department on the phone. He said uh, Chuck was supposed to meet her at a motel, and apparently did. Chuck showed herself green eyes. This was green eyes again. Chuck showed her a briefcase full of thousands of dollars in cash, and this was supposed to buy him out of his out of the death warrant that was on his life. Uh, Don Devereaux again said Mr. Morgan essentially was a naive person who paid for his own murder. He showed up to the site with the money, and they killed him anyway and took the money. Um, this was a man who's extremely naive, which is, you know. Yeah. I'm no fucking genius here, but if someone's going to kill, you know, and that's the thing I always wondered in all these movies where it's like, bring me the money or the kid gets it or bring me the money by noon or else you die. I always thought that's like, why don't they just take the money and kill you as well? I mean, like, if, yeah. if you want to bump the person off, what better way to, to kill two birds with one stone than to have exactly. the person meet you you shoot them you take the, and then you take the money and now you have money as well i mean yeah. uh, that's uh, <laughs> the hitman they chose to you know the actor they chose to play the hitman in this reenactment though i gotta be honest was not necessarily the best it was just like your grandfather or your grandpa or something who's on vacation and they got him to just play a hitman and just I don't know, it just wasn't very believable to me. But maybe hitmen are like that. Maybe they're just, you know, grumpy. Better watch out, Mike. You're stepping on some uh, some some shaky ground here with the uh, mobsters that might be listening. Three weeks after her husband's death, two people showed up claiming to be government officials. Now, this is a fucking theme in Unsolved Mysteries. If two people come up and claim to be government officials, goddammit, ask for their ID or something, some badge number... Don't just let them in run, ransack your house. She did. She 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 let she asked for the ID and they flashed it real quick and then just went by her. And yeah, she didn't. She was so kind of. I mean, I get it. I mean, maybe I would react the same way. I don't. You know, I'm not comfortable I dealing would. with with. I mean, these are these these could be shady. These could be actual government individuals, or they could be mafia, or you know, really you know de- dangerous people. I don't want to piss them off. Otherwise, I'm gonna end up dead. Somewhere. Well, shit! If you've been watching the news lately with with how police have been acting, I don't really want to piss the police off either. Yeah. So I'd be like, "All right, ransack my house. I don't know what you're looking for." And ransack but. it, they did. They came. They went through her house. They searched through everything. Didn't know what she didn't know what they were looking for, but obviously they weren't finding it. Ruth was so rattled she didn't think to take down their names, which again I understand the being rattled part and not taking down the names or anything. I think it was the letter. I think they were looking for the letter. So then Don Devereaux is interviewed again, and he said he made a formal freedom of information request about the case, and the government denied any knowledge of the event of the uh, FBI agents showing up, of course. And uh, he, they also denied that Chuck Morgan was even doing any work for the government. So, blanket government denials. Another theme of Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, Chuck who? What? <laughs> uh, uh, sorry. Uh, let me... Uh, let you put you. Let me put you on with um, the Department of Children and Families. Uh, you, you can talk to somebody there about that. Department of Children and Families, by the way, is very hard to get somebody on the phone with. So that was kind of a joke, and I don't know if it was funny or not, but still made it anyway. Um, the two dollar bill provides the basis for some kind of cryptography. And they uh, actually show the two dollar bill in, yeah. in the re, in the segment. I don't know if it's the two dollar bill. It could just be. 
a random two dollar bill. I they feel found. like it was the two dollar bill. Although the writing looked very similar to the writing that was that the actor wrote on the piece of paper earlier, so that's what I was thinking. Oh, that's what that, that the thought came to my head that it might have been, you know, a two dollar bill. They just wrote the kind of stuff on there. But then again, it could actually be the one. I don't know for sure, so it could be. I don't know about this sort of thing, like actually admitting evidence to a TV show, you know, that type of thing. I don't yeah, there's probably all kinds of laws and regulations. Legalities and... sort of, you know, to deal with that. But uh, yeah, they, they believe that $2 bill provided some basis for some kind of code. But again, they said that that the they probably needed some kind of a companion piece to make sense out of the two dollar bill, which is probably the document that Chuck said that would explain everything, which was never found. Um, for Ruth, only one thing is certain: he was murdered. Someone held a gun to his head. I don't know why, and I'll probably never know why. I feel bad for her and her daughters. I hope that they had a good life, a good upbringing and all, and I hope that they're productive yeah. citizens in society. I, too. I mean, just the, just the sight of them seeing their dad, like, all, like, tripped discombobulated out. and tripped out would be scary enough, and then to find out, you know, that he, you know, ended up dead. I mean, that's that's very distressing and, and sad. And uh, I, I agree with Don Devereux where he says, if he was quietly, promoted, quietly providing assistance to the U.S. government, and monitoring monitoring the activities of one or more major crime or major organized crime families, then he wasn't a villain. He was a good guy, and they need to know that. Yep, it's true. And we'll we will be we will be covering Mr. Devereaux here shortly as well because he's got a really interesting story that exactly. we kind of aforementioned. But yeah, this one is one of the ones I, the first ones I saw that was like, man, we we need definitely need to talk about this one sometime. Yeah, you did you did bring this one up a long time ago, kind of in the early days of yeah. the podcast. This, that, yeah, this just has so many different things in it that are just interesting by themselves. I mean, it just checks off all the boxes for a very memorable unsolved mystery uh you, you have the whole opening that sucks you in with the hallucinogenic drugs you got the whole he's so paranoid that he's wearing a bulletproof vest everywhere it doesn't help him he winds up dead two months later uh this woman calls on the phone and says you know chuck is all right ecclesiastes 12 through 8 and then hooks up the things up the phone the police believe he committed suicide that's not believable. They, why would there be somebody else's sunglasses there if, if you know, he committed suicide? Why would he have a bulletproof vest on if he was going to commit suicide? Why would he drive out to the middle of the desert if he was going to commit suicide? So, you know, the, the $2 bill inside his underwear. I mean, how uncomfortable. I mean, how long was he wearing that? How long was he having this $2 bill clipped inside his underwear? I mean... He thought this through. He definitely knew something. I mean, this isn't just random paranoid ramblings here. I do think that Chuck Morgan knew a lot. And, you know, he was effectively silenced because he knew too much. He was fucking with people's money. And it got him killed. I mean, I pretty much think that it's too, as simple as that. That too, but I, he, he knew a lot of stuff, though. So I, I think that, I think they're actually he might have actually been doing stuff with the government as well, and uh, but something went wrong, and you know in order to keep things super secret because it's not like the government really wants to let people know that yeah we do have people you know family members 
going around doing undercover work that's really dangerous that we could have actual, you know, agents do, but we don't. So we have somebody, you know, regular guy do it and then they die and we don't really want to take responsibility for that. So, uh, it's just the stuff with the two dollar bill and the messages and the the two people who showed up at the wife's home and ransacked the place. I think they were looking for that letter, or they're looking for other stuff, maybe other information that that uh, uh, Chuck might have had, um, because I, I, I there might there could possibly be a connection with this case with the Danny Casalera case. There could be a, there's a possibility that this this kind of ties together with the octopus. I mean, it's the same sort of shady government dealings. There are not, the mysterious people showing up at people's doors. People not, you know, the government denying, you know, things ever happened. They had denying that they had any association with with Chuck Morgan. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, pretty crazy. It is a good case. Very interesting. There's a lot of stuff, unfortunately, we'll never know. But again, I wish, the, uh, you know, his kids, I wish them the best and the wife. And I hope that they had a productive life. And hopefully everybody just left them the fuck alone after, you know, Chuck was out of the picture. And There was, there was, uh, this is a comment on the Unsolved Mysteries website. You know, they talk about cases and stuff like that. And uh, somebody left this comment. I don't know if it's true or not. But uh, they say the names on the bills are all law enforcement names of officers in, in Nogales, Arizona at the time. One of them owns a ranch in Sasabi, Arizona. I don't know the, the, the truth of that. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think that's kind of interesting. Sometimes when doing this podcast, I worry that like if us even talking about it, if we're going to somehow get entangled in this. <laughs> <laughs> like, you need to shut up about that. We're, we're trying to let the dust settle and you're stirring shit up again, kids. I, I think the, the statute of limitations or something has run out in this case. So I don't, I don't think we have to worry about anything. All right, moving on to our final segment. Uh, this is kind of like Josh and Mike flashback Wednesday or whatever, <laughs> because uh, this, this segment, I mean, the first segment I remember watching as a kid with um, Gary Magno, and in this one, I don't, uh, the, the Chuck Morgan one I didn't remember, but it tied into ones I did remember, so whatever, and then Mike obviously remembered it. And this one, this fucking segment that we're about to talk about, Devin Williams, The Lost Trucker. This disturbed me so much as a kid um, because I guess I couldn't really comprehend. I guess like my biggest fear has always been of like just losing it, just going crazy and yeah. just just going nuts. That's always that's, been. That's that's something that's even more terrifying to me personally because I have experienced that firsthand with one of with a dear, you know, with a really close family member. So with my stepfather, and I'm not going to go super depth in depth on it because I really don't. We really would not like to do that. Revisit that kind of thing. Right. Um, I would imagine. I know what it's like, and that that was devastating to me. And thankfully, he's all right. He's doing great. Oh, that's good news. And you know, because you know, we got on the right treatment and things like that. And I've always felt strongly about mental health anyway, and how our our way we our our mental health system in, in America sucks. Right. It's terrible. Uh, when you have a heart attack, you get immediate help right away. But if your brain has, but if your brain has the, you know, has the brain's equivalent of a heart attack, you have to jump through all these hoops in order to get help. 
and that's bad and some people don't even want to do it because they just assume that it's just so misunderstood it's a lot of people are ignorant about mental illness and i'm just being honest a lot of people are not everyone is but a lot of people just think all mental illnesses are just you know you go crazy and that's it and it's not as simple as that and they and it's like they think once you're crazy well you're just crazy you're you're a loony exactly. a loony in the loony bin and that's it i'm breaking up with you and you know divorce or you know whatever and that's the worst thing you can do and what these these people need is support especially yeah, in mental illness, it, the longer you're in, especially with mental breakdowns, and that's what I have experience with, is when somebody has a mental breakdown, the sooner you get them help, the better. Because the longer they're in that state, the harder it's going to be to get them back to normal. Right. So it's the worst possible thing to just be like, oh, they're just crazy. Because eventually, that is what's going to happen, because you're doing nothing to help them, or you don't have the ability to help them. Because the legal system... That mental health is the first thing to get cut from the budget. No matter what all these legislators and all these politicians say after, you know, the latest school shooting or whatever, we need to improve our mental It's the first thing that's cut from the budget. Even for people who have made statements like that, they immediately go and cut mental health from the, from the state's budget. I mean, it, it is so overlooked. It's cruel. It's, it's cruel and it's infuriating to me. Because there, it's almost impossible for certain people to get help. It, it, it's you could if you lived out in the middle of nowhere, you're 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 fucked. You're shit out of luck. You're you're more than likely not going to get, you know, the the help that you need as soon as possible. And people just a lot of people just get arrested. They go to jail, and that's not going to help. That doesn't help anything. Uh, or you know, they get admitted to a hospital, but they can only hold them for so long. And you know it, it's 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 just it's awful. It, it is it, it is awful. Um, you know, and, and I had a fr I have a friend who kind of a more sunnier side to this. She had uh, just a horrible schizophrenic breakdown and was crazy. And she even said herself, she's like, I was crazy. And she's been on medication for the last ten years now, and she's doing fine. And she's yeah. as sane as can be. And um, that's what my stepdad has been doing too so yeah and, and she can look back on that experience and tell me all about these hallucinations and all about these delusions and all and she can tell me in just clear clear as can be he clear-headedness about how oh yeah and i thought that this was happening and i thought this was happening and there's such a stark contrast now yeah. the, from where she was to where she is now and it's just thank god she got the medicine but you know the if her health insurance ever fucks up or something, I mean, because it's exp dude, antipsychotic medication is expensive. I mean, it's not cheap. Yeah. So if I mean, if anything was to happen and she was to get off that medication, see the problem with schizophrenia is once you finally get treatment for it and you become stable, you you have a pretty good chance of living a normal life. But if you get off that medication, yeah, and you relapse, yeah, I have, I, yeah, I have experience personal experience of that again you know he you know the doctors recommended my stepdad get off the meds and then he had another little breakdown so you know it, it's one of those things where you know it's just you might have to take it for the rest of your life but yeah it's expensive and you you hope you can afford it type deal you know and not everybody can and that's just so it, it's just expensive
So why are we talking about all this? Well, because this guy, Devin Williams, uh, just like a lot of other of the episodes that happen on Unsolved Mysteries, I strongly feel like Devin Williams suffered a... He had a mental breakdown. He had a mental breakdown. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll go into this story and you can make up your own minds out there, but really there's no other logical conclusion. Um, the segment opens up with Robert Stack standing in front of a semi that's parked in the back of like a forest, and it's a very stunning image to kind of yeah. behold. Like some, it's like which two things would you never imagine together? You know, a <laughs> semi in a fucking park. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you you envision it on the on a road, you envision it in some some warehouse all day long. And then but, you, then you then you put Robert Stack on top. Yeah, of then, yeah. Then you oh. put Robert. <laughs> yeah. So what three things would you never <laughs> picture? It's yeah, a, it's it's almost. Just too much. Yeah, it, too too much awesomeness it's like when you had Robert image Stack. Of, of Robert Stack with a shotgun in his hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I loved when I saw, I was watching Unsolved Mysteries the other day and I saw a segment. I was like, I got to screenshot this. This is just too amazing of an image. Um, nothing adds up in this case. Um, Memorial Day weekend, nineteen ninety five, Arizona's Tonto National Forest. The last thing any of the campers expected to see crashing through the woods was a ten ton semi truck. The eighteen wheelers. The 18-wheeler thundered back and forth several times that morning. Two other campers had a frighteningly close encounter to where the semi was driving right towards them down a one-way path, and they were having to gun it in reverse. And they were saying the, the look in the trucker's eyes, he acted as though he didn't even see them. There was no facial, he, there was no expression on his face at all as he was basically running them down and not slowing down or anything. Then finally this car turned, they cut it to the right and they're able to cut out of the way of this guy and he just keeps going down this path in the middle of this forest. Um, later that day, a carload of picnickers came upon the truck now mired in a field. The driver spoke to someone who he believed to be the driver. No, so the driver who witnessed the semi-driver, he spoke to the semi-driver who was outside of his truck at this point. And he said, hey, what are you doing out here? And then the trucker just said, they made me do it. Uh, you can't help me. I'm going to jail. And then the eyewitness, whose name was Charles Hall, he said... When he said whatever it was with jail as his last word, I envisioned a hostage situation, a hijacking, a jailbreak, but he made no effort to keep us there. He didn't ask for help. We, he didn't want us to do anything for him. So late Sunday afternoon, Depart uh, Deputy Dean Wells followed up a bizarre report that the 48-foot semi was marooned in the forest. Now, he said uh, when he came up on the semi, it was just a matter of awe. It was extremely strange to see. He went and he opened the back of the trailer, and the load of fresh strawberries and lettuce seemed to be intact. The refrigerator unit was on, and the inside of the cab was locked, and it appeared to be very clean. He could not figure out why the 18-wheeler was there. I mean, I understand why. You know, I wouldn't... It's like, what the fuck? Uh, Deputy Wells checked the National Crime Computer and found no reports of a missing truck or driver, and there is no indication of foul play. The following afternoon, another sighting. The gentleman, uh, they said the, the, the people who pulled up on this guy, he said the gentleman, his mouth was moving, we could hear sounds, but it was mumbled. And this guy, and he was knelt down, and he was looking at a tree. And then... As he's talking, he doesn't even turn to look at us when his, uh, her husband, uh, Jack, was the husband who was in the car. He said, uh, hey, mister, can we help you? Do you have a campsite close by? And the guy's just sitting here, the trucker, he's just sitting here with a $20 bill, and he's striking it with a rock, 
and he says, I gotta light the grill. Now that, that, that image was what stuck in my mind as a kid. That scared the shit out of me. I was like, what? This can happen to people? Like you can just lose it like this and just go crazy like that. that nostalgia overload for you, right? It's there. not nostalgia. It's it's a nostalgia in a fearful kind of way. Cause like yeah. this really did scare me and disturb me as a kid. I thought about it often. I was like, because as a kid, you know, you trust adults so much, and you think adults are the ones who are supposed to have it all together, which is what I thought. And when this guy's, you know, and, and when I would watch stuff like this as a kid, I'd be like this can really happen to like people who are like in authority over me. Like they can just go crazy. Like it was very upsetting to me as a kid that this is something that can happen. And now of course I understand about mental health and it's, it's still upsetting because it, it, it's one of the most terrifying things to me because there isn't a, we still don't understand it as well as we should because we don't really put a lot of research into this kind of thing. Right. In terms of medical research and so on. So it's kind of like this mysterious thing anyway, like a mental breakdown. The brain just uh, freaks out. Something happens. Uh, uh, it, 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 you're, there's some kind of something that triggers it, and then that's it. I mean, it's really not not much of a – I mean, as, as far as I know, I'm no expert or anything. It, it just it seems like it's a fairly – we don't know that much about it. And – you know ghosts and ufos and that's freaky so it's bigfoot but you know mental break that you know that's a real thing like it's like that's a proven 100 yeah. percent. you know there's no skeptics type thing you know there's no reason to be skeptical it's a proven thing that happens to people and without warning you know yeah what i mean what's interesting though was my stepdad he, he was having some digestive issues before he eventually had his first breakdown and he could eat some foods that he was able to eat before he was having problems with. So, I, and we're, we, this is a theory that we have, and we don't really know for sure. And I, I really would like to, do, I would love to see a scientific study on this to see people who've had mental breakdowns to see if they have a similar thing where, you know, they, that certain foods that they've been eating, you know, before no problem just don't react well to them. Uh, you know, in the lead up to the, the to the breakdown, and this was like for a couple months or something. So maybe the body was giving, you know, you know, the brain was finding a way to give, you know, my stepdad a warning, like a way ahead in advance, but he just didn't know. And why should he? And why would you? You just think there's something wrong with your just you know stomach or something, or you know you acquired some kind of allergy or whatever. But once he he got back to normal and, and started taking the meds, like he, he he could take the he could eat the foods fine, hmm. no problems. So that's what makes me think it was uh, the body's waves uh, of, of giving him a heads up, being like, hey, something's ha happening. I want you know I want you to know this. Right. You know, pay attention. You know, listen up. But and uh, so there are some things that we kind of, you know, me and my mom, we kind of key in on now, you know, when it comes to and I got to admit before he had his breakdown, he was acting a little bit weird around me and I just didn't know how to explain it. And then, and then it happened. And then it's so sudden. It, there's no way to prepare for it, folks. And trust me, if you end up experiencing it in your own life or if you have experienced it, you know what I mean when it comes to this. The hardest thing is that is that the, the moment that it happens. The hardest thing is to remain strong, and and, and to remain, you know, supportive of, of that individual, that person that you love, or your friend, or your family member. And trust me, I know it's hard, but you you have to do that. 
because that's when they need you the most. Right. It's because they're not there. Like this guy, I, I firmly believe he had a mental breakdown. He's driving around and he was driving in his truck and had a mental breakdown. And this this also because my stepdad had a relapse and he was on the road when this happened. So this segment is <laughs> hits close to home in a way. It, it, it definitely hits close to home in a way. Well, and that's not even to mention all the uh, the stress that truckers are on. That and and people a lot of times don't give truckers the they don't get cra- a lot of sleep. Yeah, which which is key in uh, having a mental breakdown is sleep deprivation. That has a lot to do with what can trigger a mental breakdown, amongst other things. Um, but truck- a lot of there's also people who you know it, it's it's uh, inherited, you know, right? That's another big thing. Was that the case in, for your stepdad? Like a history of that? Yeah, actually, but he, we didn't actually find that out until after the fact. Um, and he, he, his father, you know, something happened with him. He actually committed suicide. So it, it's just one of those just, things just started to come, you know, unravel a little bit later on. And, wow. and you know, so stuff that was nice to know, you know, not only for us, but, you know, for him as well. And, you know, it, it, it's, it, I think it's important to kind of share this kind of stuff. And, and I, I know to, to make, make, provide a voice for it, you know, because I've, I've been there. So I, I know some people say, oh, that's a bit personal and stuff like that. But I've been there and I just I just want to kind of, you know, put it out there to show people a story that, you know, that when this happens, it's not the end of the world. You're if you get the person help as soon as you can and you get them the right treatment and they're able to be able to afford the meds, you can have that person back that you love and you care about. But you just you have to be strong and vigilant in the beginning and, and stay with them. And you, know, you can't give up on them. They need you more than ever at that moment because they're not them. That's what Devin, Devin Williams is not Devin Williams when he was barreling through the woods. Right. Um, that's what's crazy. So is, uh, getting, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm sure there are some people out there listening that can certainly relate to it. I mean, I can, I can relate to it in the sense that like I suffer from ang- just anxiety and um, OCD, obsessive compulsive yeah. disorder. Um, thank God it's not schizophrenia. Cause that's kind of the big daddy of bad ones. Well, bipolar is pretty bad too, but yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I have my own uh, tangle with this shit and the depression to a certain extent. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely affects me as well. And, and there is too much of a taboo for uh, mental health. Now, I mean, it, it, there's always been and it's a little better now. But I mean, you know, it's it's horrible. But I mean, getting back to this story, um, Linda and her husband, Jack, which were the two the last two people to see Devin alive. um they were saying like the same day um devin turned up missing finally okay so there wasn't anybody reported missing but then devin finally turns up missing in the database by all accounts he was not the type to dump a fully loaded loaded rig into the forest and by but the eyewitnesses were positive that the person matched devin williams photo so all the eyewitnesses were shown the photo and said yeah that's they made a positive id um, May 23rd, 1995, Devin left his home in Kansas and headed west. And this is before the incident, obviously. Um, it was a route he had taken multiple times. William, Williams delivered his load in California on schedule, and he picked up a new load on the trip and called his boss to check in. His, now, quoting his boss here, uh, Looking back, I can't see anything out of the ordinary to make me suspect anything. Everything indicated it was just a normal trip. 
Saturday evening, May 27th, Williams rolled into Kingsland, Arizona. From there, Williams phoned headquarters for the last time. By Sunday, Williams was off the map, barreling through the woods, and nobody knows why. No theories make sense. Uh, reports that Williams was confused and incoherent suggested that Williams was on drugs, but his boss said he always passed all his drug tests and they had never had any problems with him in that area. Uh, Bruce Cornish, the detective for the Coconino County Sheriff's Department, said, quote, When you're having problems with people who are missing, you can point to something. They have a long criminal history. They have a severe drug problems. They have mental illness. None of those things fit. He, di he didn't appear to be mentally ill, which is a silly statement. He had no drug problem. Sometimes people who want to run away from their responsibilities, uh, they just run away. They have a problem with their wife, with their kids. They just simply want to run away. Was it significant that his briefcase was in the truck, but his duffel bag and his favorite audio tapes were gone? His erratic behavior would have had to been an act for a succession of unsuspecting witnesses. It would have had to have been an elaborate concoction, and Devin's wife doesn't buy it. Quote, We were the happiest we had been in our marriage. We had just bought a house. We had so many plans. We had been arguing about putting either linoleum or carpeting in the dining room. I mean, that's how, you know, like they, they basically she was saying that they were good. If Devin didn't run off, where was he? Search parties turned up empty-handed. Hunters never found so much as a bone fragment or a piece of clothing. Some joked that he was abducted by a UFO. <laughs> I had to do it at least once, folks. I had to do it at least once. Um, quote, I've conducted... This is some sheriff guy. He's like, I've conducted many searches, and I've never done a search where I haven't found someone, either dead or alive. And then it kind of ends with Ruth, or not Ruth, uh, the wife saying, I've got kids that look at me, and they'll be doing fine, and then one day they'll be like, when's dad coming home? When is he coming back? And she just has to say... You know, if he's not coming back, then he's with Jesus, you know. Um, and on a, you know, sad note, that is that is the case. Uh, uh, I guess a couple years later, uh, the some people actually found a skull in the woods near where he was uh, last seen. And uh, they did some tests on it, and they found it. It was, in fact, the skull of Devin Williams. So this guy, I think, could because like I said earlier, truckers, my dad was a trucker for like 30 years. They have, you know, they're under a lot of pressure to make their deliveries. They're under a time frame that they have to, they have to get, you know, in under a certain time frame or else they get penalized or whatever. Yeah. They're usually, you know, not enough rest, you know. So it's very possible and the only possibility the only possibility. Uh, he had a mental breakdown, uh, schizophrenic episode, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he he went, he went crazy, you know? He, yep. he, he lost it, and he needed to be Baker-acted and put into a hospital, and, you know, they needed to give him medication, and they, he, they probably could have saved him. But unfortunately, when you're an adult, you have free will, and, you know, he they didn't get to him in time. He... That's what's so scary about it, and, and that's why I'm so glad and so thankful that things worked out so well the second time around with uh, with the, my stepdad because it happened on the road, and, and that's what terrified me, is, and, and of course my, my, my mom, is just the whole thing where, I don't know, what are we going to do with that? I mean, 
it's, it, thankfully didn't happen while I was driving, but can you imagine that? I mean, in the middle of a road or something, and the freeway, I mean, that's just a, da- there's a danger to not only themselves, but to other people. And and that's the thing. And then and then somebody would get, I see, that's the thing. The, the way that things are written, you can't get somebody help uh, as soon as possible because there's this whole thing where it's like, well, they have to sign off on it. I'm like, how can this person sign off on this? They're not even there. Now, I, a question I have for you, because in, in Jacksonville, I don't know if this is a national terminology or whatever, but they call it Baker acting someone, and that's where if somebody is presenting a danger to themselves or anybody that's else. That's the thing. They have to present a danger to themselves or anybody else first. If they don't do that, there's nothing they can do. Mm. So that's what's so destroying. So you know, if they just totally like break personality and change into another there's person. There's still nothing they can do. Right, yeah. Which is so upsetting because... Clearly, there's a breakdown happening, but they can't do anything. And really, you just have to sit and wait for the other shoe to drop, you know, and wait for something bad to and happen. And then it's too late. Right. And then it's too late. Thankfully, it turned out, you know, better um, for me. But there are other instances where people's, you know, family members or whatever, well, we can't do anything. And then it gets really bad and then somebody dies or, or the, the person in the middle of the mental breakdown does something to themselves. It's just very... It's it's frustrating, because, and I know why it's this, that way, because in the past there have been instances of people who lie and get people thrown into an asylum because they don't like them or whatever, you know. Right. But I, I, I just think people need to be educated more. And, and I, I, I would it'd be nice to have legislation the way it is, you know, where police officers... You know, they, they, they're trained in other ways, you know, how to, you know, paramedics and, you know, kind of basic stuff like that, you know. So why can't we train police officers and, and people who come in to, you know, deal with these mental health cases? Why can't we teach them just basic signs? Well, they're know, supposed to be. They're, suppo- they're supposed to be trained in that, whether they actually utilize that. And I mean, why can't they be, be allowed legally to just make, you know, a correct assumption, you know, I don't think you're going to be wrong at all when someone is clearly showing symptoms uh, of going through a mental breakdown. You can tell when somebody's not, somebody can say he's crazy and they're not really acting crazy or they're just drunk. There's a difference between somebody being drunk and causing, you know, problems versus somebody who's completely sober and is completely, has a mental breakdown. I mean, if somebody's running around saying, I'm God or whatever, Jesus, they're obviously not there. They're obviously going through something. So I, I would think you'd be able to use common sense, and I would think law would enable you to be able to use common sense. What the fuck? Oh, uh, sorry. Collectively shared. <laughs> <laughs> That added a little bit of levity to the. I was I had it on the Unsolved Mysteries Wikia page, and I guess they just decided to pump an ad out at me out of nowhere. That kind of scared the shit out of me. I'm not gonna lie. That was a jump scare, folks. That was totally planned, and I'm not editing that out either. <laughs> farmer owned and farmer bred. What the fuck? Yeah, so it's a tragic case, you know. Mental breakdown. Good luck. <laughs> when somebody when somebody's having angina pains and stuff, they rush them to the hospital because they're having a heart attack and it's life threatening. The same should be said for uh, when somebody is is doing something that's completely outside of the personality. They're not making sense. Um, I mean, you know, how do you know it's not a fucking stroke? You know, for all they know, you know. Yeah. I mean, that you know, it could be. 
Because that's that's symptoms of a stroke, you know, incoherence and all that. So I mean, either way, people, uh, you know, maybe maybe he had a stroke. Could that be a possibility? Oh, he wouldn't. He would. He was in the force for days. Yeah, yeah. He would not have been. Able he would have been there. He would have been. That would have lasted all he of a few hours. He would not have been able to drive that semi through the woods if he had a stroke. Yeah, the stroke would have taken his life pretty quickly. He wouldn't have. Uh, he 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 had some kind of psychotic uh, episode, and he suffered. And you know, he probably got lost in the woods and died, probably a very terrifying death in his mind. And it's it's very sad. I remember this yeah. one as a kid, like I said, and this one very much terrified me because I that image would be very memorable because if you've never seen or heard of anything like that before, and, and a grown you know adult, a man is just smacking a dollar bill smacking some money with a rock you know you just be like yeah i it just literally introduced that possibility into my my world my little kid world of things so your that your man wasn't freddy krueger or you know it was your own self it was yourself it was your own mind you know and then also i grew up you know in a religious home so of course it too it was demon possession of course okay that, some people would tie that into it they'd say it's not mental you know. Yeah, they would say a demon possession, but yeah, I don't think that's. The well, thing. there's some some cases. Maybe you could make the case for some of that. I mean, like Rain Boy, for instance. Right. Uh, I mean, if there if there's like a if there is something that the person is doing that is outside of the realm, like physically is doing something that's outside the realm yeah. of reality, and other people are witnessing it, that's yeah, that that deals more with the manifestations and stuff like that. But if you're just, it's all in your own head, and you you know, to other people, you just seem like a lost, confused person. That's kind of you know that's a different story. Obviously, I, I don't like that either. How some some people just point to oh it's just demons and in, in your head. I mean that that's such that's like the way people thought you know mental health was back in the dark ages. Yeah, it, it, put a hole in your head, you know, and let the demons out. I mean, just at least we've we've come a long way since then. But you know, it, it, it's things could still be a lot better when it comes to mental health. But with the case of of Devin Williams, sadly. I don't know how this case could have ended unless somebody was just like some of the people that saw him there were like, all right, we're calling the, I'm calling somebody because this is clearly somebody who's going through a mental breakdown. I'm calling the the police or, or, uh, you know, 911 or something. I don't blame anybody who didn't do anything because, again, you just don't know. You don't know if this guy's got a, a hostage situation, if he just got out of jail. Like you, you, I mean, yeah, there's that, too. But, you know, like the guy said, he didn't do anything after he said he thought it was a hostage situation. Well, the the one the, the one couple where he was striking the 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 stone against the bill, he actually took the rock and he threw it at the couple at their car. So that was in kind of an act of aggression. So well, exactly, it's an act of aggression. Now he's harming somebody else. That's the key time to hey, there's this guy. He's in the he's in the woods. He's acting all weird. I, I think he's going through some sort of psychotic episode. We tried to help him out. He threw a rock at us. Uh, so he's definitely a harm to himself and a harm to others. Boom, yeah. right then and there, they could have came, had somebody come in and, you know, maybe, you know, take him to a hospital or something. And then they call his wife and then, you know, maybe something could have, you know, better. Maybe this could have ended better. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's the all, all we got for this. Um, exactly. Sorry for bumming you out, folks. <laughs> ending just, on a downer. Ending on such a down note. Um, but, you know, this is real. This is some real stuff. And uh, as you can tell, I'm definitely passionate about this. No, I am, too. I am, too. I, I always have been about mental health. It's I'm tired of it being treated like the ugly Christmas sweater of illnesses. Yeah. It's just, like, ignored and... Oh really? Oh, oh mental mental health. I, I don't want to talk about that. That's just uncomfortable. I don't. I don't it's crazy people. Oh. Well, if you want some jollies in your life, then you can look me up on Facebook or you. God, why do I always say Facebook? It's fucking YouTube. YouTube, the place where you guys see videos. You can look me up on YouTube. I don't have a fancy URL yet because I don't have enough subscribers. I'm only. You are on Facebook, but. I have a Facebook, but I don't do it. Well, I guess I do do funny things on there. I just said doo doo. Um, you can look me up, search Dancing with Ghosts or the Overstimulation Station, and my shit will pop up. You will see my mug on there and some videos I've done. I do funny shit, uh, game reviews, uh, TV show reviews. I mean, the whole reason this podcast is even kind of came together was a video I did on the uh, Unsolved Mysteries, the revamp versus the original Mike found me, and we kind of collaborated from there. Oh, yep. I, I did want to make a little mention. Um... Uh, regarding the revamp show, which is usually no known as the R word on this show because it's so awful, but I just want to say, I'll admit, and I'll give credit where credit's due. I watched, I hadn't seen Dennis Farina in a lot, of, it, it, like actually acting in movie roles. I saw Get Shorty a few days ago with John Travolta, and I gotta say, Dennis, Dennis Farina was in that movie. He played like a mobster. He's usually typecast as that kind of character or whatever. He's a fucking badass in movies. I did not. I did not realize that. He's kind of a badass. Um, he's he's you know just your street tough, hardened gangster, mobster kind of guy. The guy that I saw hosting the new Unsolved Mysteries show was a limp, boring, vanilla shell of a host. And then I see him in movies, and I'm like, okay, I kind of get why they picked this guy for the show. Like it, it makes sense. Um, and, and I just, I just wanted to, you know, correct myself for anyone who's seen, you know, my, uh, my, my video on YouTube or whatever, talking about that Dennis Farina thing. Um, he actually is kind of a badass. Um, yeah, he is. I, I've liked him as an actor, but he just, they, whatever he was given to read or however he was directed or whatever, it was just, they did not use him very well okay i might i might just sent me something here so i'm guessing are we gonna do this oh it's just something i saw okay you know. well yeah sure um i want to send a special hello to corinne wilma i guess I, that's how you say hi it. there hey corinne all the way from australia now see whenever i do an australian accent it sounds like a cross be an inbred cross between john f kennedy and like an australian accent <laughs> It, it starts out kind of Australian and it ends sounding like John F. Kennedy, like, Hello there, I'm from Australia. And don't you worry, Massachusetts, no new taxes, read my lips, I am John F. Kennedy. It's very pathetic, but uh, thank you, Corinne, for being a uh, regular listener since day fucking one, it seems like, I think. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of other ones out here. Fuck it, I'm just going to go down the list of people who liked the... Uh, Status, uh, where, where we said recording episode 15 tonight. Hello to Mario Rios. What's up, Alex Smith? Oh, I, I kind of know who you are, Alex. What's up, Aaron Summers? Hey, Dave Hooser, how's it going? Stephanie Gray, I know you're a big fan. Stacy Rich, 
you know, keeping it keeping it real over there. Thank you, you guys. Uh, we appreciate the support. Um, but yeah, that's all the time we got. You can find Mike on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash OCP Communications. He does movie reviews. And if you liked his rant about uh, the Bob, uh, Bobby Baskin case, it's pretty much the same energy and passion he brings to all of his videos. So if that, if you found that entertaining, which I did the first time he did, I was like, oh my gosh, man, Mike's going off here. You should check out his other videos because like I said, he brings the same kind of passion. Mike, you know, he's does he does the format to where he doesn't rely on the special effects and all that kind of stuff. It's just him and the camera. It's very intimate. It's very, you know, personal and all that kind of stuff. And you've designed it that way because you've told me, you said you, you could have went in the direction of the, I've tried the production that, value and, and stuff. It just, I, I, I lose the passion and that that's the whole point. You know, I, I, losing the passion is, is never a good thing. And that's that's important to have passion in 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 uh your videos especially if you're trying to engage an audience true so. that true that i could use some of that i mean i have the passion i just don't have the subscribers yet but i'm new um so anyway folks that's all the time we have um god damn it's 12 21 over here so technically it's <laughs> thursday over where i'm at mike's still a little early over there for you, you lucky bastard still can do shit tonight yeah um, like study for my math test and do math homework woohoo yeah, <laughs> All right, guys, like I said, the Patreon should be set up by this time next week for sure. So if that's something you want to kick in some shekels for to upgrade our equipment and get some extra perks along the way, hey, we all win. 